Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 73. So what is the source of envy for the psalmist? It's envy as well as that confounding and even bitterness of soul which states, why should the people who oppose God be better off than those who actually trust Him? So first I want to talk about the psalmist's observations about the wicked. First, they're prosperous and increased in riches. Um, they look good, they're put together and attractive. They're comfortable and enjoying life. Always at ease, they increase in riches. They can lie on the couch and watch Netflix or go shopping and buy whatever they want to. They don't have to go to staff meeting or DT sharing or Sunday service at MBS, and they don't have to meet up with students. Uh, next, they don't seem to have problems like normal people do. Verse four, it says, they have no pangs till death. Verse five, they are not in trouble as others are, not stricken like the rest of mankind. Well, given that list, you would probably say, well, yeah, of course there would be a lot of envy. But you know, when I thought about who I do envy, I see that I don't necessarily envy those who don't have a relationship with God. I recognize that those who are not Christian, even if they are super rich and don't have to do things like DT and so forth, they might be famous and the like, that their end is very clear. You know, when I was younger, I think I did envy the non-Christian because their life was truly so full of ease and pleasure. But something about getting older and then really seeing the truth of the gospel, that this life is really fleeting and apart from God, there is no long-lasting genuine joy in this world. I no longer envy the non-Christian as much as I have pity for them. But one thing I do see in my life is that I do find myself having envy towards others. And who are those people? It's the lukewarm Christians, those who say that they're Christian and yet live lives that are not committed beyond a loose affiliation with Jesus. Because when I think about my life and the people who most often point fingers at my life and say, you know, you're a little too much, it's hardly ever the non-Christian, but rather it's the Christian whose life essentially mirrors that of the world, say for the couple of hours the week that they quote unquote devote to God. I was reminded about Mr. Kim in Course 201, how his life looks exactly the same as a non-Christian's life. They have the same values and loves and pursuits, except that Mr. Kim goes to church on Sundays. Of course, we can't claim to say that someone is saved or not saved, but this kind of nominal Christian life is clearly inconsistent with all the passages about discipleship and following Jesus in the Bible. But I think we all know people like this, maybe old classmates, friends, or family members. We look at a person like this and we can feel envious. I remember a time of struggle I had several years ago when I thought, if we're both going to the same place, then why do I have to live like we do at our church? What good is it to quote-unquote sacrifice and work hard to serve God, give up my free nights and weekends to do ministry and church cleaning, forego vacations and leisure time, time with my kids, when this other person doesn't do any of these things and is also going to heaven. So what happens? The psalmist is clearly pained as he thinks about these things, especially the supposed futility of honoring God. He says in verse 16, When I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And that is so true. It is indeed so wearisome to try to think about these things. I think we can relate. People who are churchgoers and yet they are giving themselves fully to their careers. And here we are choosing second best time and time again. And I thought especially about the 2021 church planting. If people who can't get full remote jobs, if they have to leave their lucrative jobs in the Bay Area or in SoCal or whatnot in order to take lesser paying jobs in places like Columbus, Ohio or Ann Arbor or some other small northeastern city, how can that actually be fair? So how does the psalmist come to his mind? It says in verse 17, when he goes into the sanctuary of God and discerns their end, when he knows that there is judgment for the person who does not place their hope in God. So what about the Christian then? Someone who is saved, do our lives and our conduct even matter? As we talked about earlier, because if it doesn't, then surely our efforts would also be in vain. 
But it's here that I'm reminded that our lives do matter. That in the end, as 2 Corinthians 5.10 states, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's an idea that we will come before God and he will look at our lives and we will receive either a reward or some sort of judgment. I'm also reminded of the passage from 1 Corinthians 3.12-15. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The Bible clearly tells me that my life will be judged and how I've been building will be revealed. There's going to be rewards for faithful obedience to Jesus, as well as loss, which doesn't mean that you won't be saved, but as verse 15 states, it'll be suffering loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as for us, we have a choice to live a life of faithful obedience to Jesus, which means leaving all to follow him or not. As for me, I like to live a life where my focus and aim is the reward that Jesus says he will reward to me on that day when I face him in judgment, a crown of righteousness that is worth far more and lasts for eternity versus the rewards found here on earth. Lastly, I wanted to talk about how the psalmist's honesty with God about his envy and frustrations um, really leads to repentance. And um, I think honesty is really powerful and it is a first step for him um, in this process of struggle and repentance. Um, It's when he honestly voices his complaints, uh, frustrations, and uh, struggle to God that he's able to come back to the spiritual clarity about what is true. Um, There's a progression and he's able to go from saying, all in vain have I kept my heart clean to saying, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So that process is messy and difficult. And it, can, it takes opening up to God and leaders about specific things that we're envious of and frustrated about. Um, it, takes, it, it might take a period of reflection and going back to God's word. Um, but as he, the psalmist does so, he's able to recommit his life to God. And he comes to a much stronger conviction that God is all he needs. Have a good day, guys. Okay. Have a good day.